0: Listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, I promise you will love my new audiobook for Moms Don't Have Time to A Quarantine Anthology. It's not about the quarantine, but a lot of the essays were written during that time about other things that moms don't have time to do or other busy people things like reading, eating, working out, breathing, having sex, and 60 best selling and notable authors wrote essays. All those authors have been on this very podcast. So if you like to listen to my conversations, if you want to get to know these authors better, I read the audiobook myself. Check it out on Audible. Moms don't have time to, a quarantine anthology. Again, Audible audiobook. Go listen to it. It's like 60 mini podcasts. I hope you enjoy. I'm excited to welcome back Alyssa Friedland onto my podcast, this time for her novel Last Summer at the Golden Hotel, which is flying off the shelves and is currently in its fourth printing and... I know Alyssa is freaking out on Instagram that the shipments are delayed and everything, but this is a good, good problem to have. Alyssa is the author of four novels and a forthcoming picture book. She attended Yale University, where she served as managing editor of the Yale Daily News and is a graduate of Columbia Law School. She worked as an associate at a major firm before turning to writing full-time. Alyssa currently teaches creative writing at Yale. Her work has been published in the Washington Post, McSweeney's, Pop Sugar, Real Simple... Bustle, Modern Bride, New York Magazine, Columbia Journalism Review, CBS Market Watch, Yale Alumni Magazine, and Your Prom. Alyssa resides in New York City with her husband and three young children. The Floating Feldmans, by the way, was a People Magazine, People Pick, and a Skim Reads Selection. That was the book right before this one, The Floating Feldmans, and was praised by Cosmo, Bustle, Good Housekeeping, National Geographic, Women's Day, Women's World, and many, many others. The Intermission, which was her novel before that, was praised by The Wall Street Journal, She Reads, Pure Wow, and many others. Her debut novel, Love and Miscommunication, Communication, was a best book in Cosmo, Glamour, and more. Finally, The Museum of Lost Teeth, her first picture book, will be published in fall 2022. She's also a co-author of First Street, a serialized novel available in electronic and audio formats about four ambitious lawyers clerking at the Supreme Court. And I actually had her on to discuss both First Street and the intermission. And so, this is, I think, she is my most frequently featured author. And we did this in person, by the way. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> Hi, Zebbie. How are you? Thanks for coming back on Mom's Don't Have Time to Read Books. I feel like you might have been on more than anybody. This is like your third time. Yes. Oh, that's true. Because right? I came for the
1: joint project that I did. Wow. So, I'm a three P. A three P. That's an honor. Wow. Thank you. Okay. Last summer
0: at the Golden Hotel. This book was so good really immersive, amazing. I don't know how you developed all these characters well enough that I have a visual of everybody in my head. I didn't see the plot twist coming. Oh. Seriously. I mean, I, I often feel like a moron when I talk about books because I'm like, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> see that. Maybe I should have. It just anyway, means that we're doing our job well. I guess so. I guess so. I'm like totally in it. So tell listeners what Last Summer at the Golden Hotel is about and then how you came up with this plot. I know it's in the, no never and everything, but
1: So last summer at the Golden Hotel is really about a hotel. The Golden Hotel is a resort in the Catskills, very similar to Kellerman's from Dirty Dancing. And I am certain that like 99.9% of your listeners have seen Dirty Dancing probably at least twice, maybe more like 10 times. I think I saw it in the theater like eight times. Of course. I mean, and it's really stood the test of time as the best movie ever. And so the Golden Hotel is very similar to Kellerman's and also the Steiner Resort in season two of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, another fictional Catskills hotel. But in real life, there were thousands of them in the area for decades. And these hotels were the most glamorous, the place to see and be seen. There was definitely a concentration of Jewish people that went to the Catskills, but there were other ethnic groups that had places in the Catskills also, there was a Greek area, there was an Italian area, and it was basically a refuge for people who lived in the city to get out of the city and have fresh air and just have fun in the summertime. It wasn't like an era of 24-7 connectedness with a smartphone, obviously. So families would go for weeks at a time. Usually the mother and children would go for the entire summer and the husbands would drive up on the weekends, really old school. And it was like, I would say good, clean family fun, but there's a lot of... not. (laughs) clean things also that happen up in the Catskills. It's kind of like a, what happens in the Catskills days (laughs) in the Catskills, if you will. Anyway, the Golden was really the preeminent resort for decades. And, you know, the book opens in present times, 2019. I said it pre-COVID just to sidestep that whole issue. And the hotel is the last one in the region standing. And the guest book is half full only, the furniture is duct taped together, the pool is full of goose poop, the grounds are just impossible to maintain, and really the writing is on the wall that the hotel should be shuttered. And an attractive offer comes from a casino developer that wants to buy the hotel and convert it into a casino, which really means just buy the property and raise the buildings and put up a casino in its place. This brings the two families that co-own the hotel together back to campus for a week to decide whether they should sell the hotel or whether they should try to modernize and try, you know, one last ditch effort to, keep the hotel standing. And both families arrive with three generations in tow. You've got the founders who built the hotel with their bare hands practically, and they're very attached to the place. You have millennial grandchildren who are totally disengaged from the hotel, but then the minute they get there, decide that they're the experts on how to fix it. (laughs) And like simply you need artisanal cheese and goat yoga and a cryotherapy tank. And as long as it becomes a hipster paradise it all be saved. And then you have the middle generation that I probably identify with the most. And they're just like I don't care what happens to the hotel but I'm right now dealing with my parents and my children at the same time and they all just want to run away. And it's a big cast of characters and I liked that because the Catskills was this very robust place that touched a lot of lives and I liked having I liked being able to show what the hotel meant to a lot of people. Obviously I will not give away what happens in the end except to say that I've received a lot of emails that people were very satisfied okay. by the ending, which was a nice feeling.
0: I liked the ending too. Thank you. I uh-huh. liked it. It was all, I liked how you tied everything up, sort of, I I could see where every character was going. Like
1: I could see a part two, perhaps. Have you thought about it? Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, I think I'm mostly hoping that this, Goes to screen, you okay, know, which yeah. is like, I, I do have a film agent so far. I have not sold the option rights, but I've just gotten so many emails from people like begging to see this on screen. So for me, like that would be the dream. I don't love sequels so much, like in terms of writing, because like when I'm done, I'm done and I'm on to the next. Mm-hmm. So I love these characters. But then I fall in love with my new set of characters. Yeah, and by the way, you already have your new book in here, which yeah. I was like, good
0: for you. So Most Likely is coming out in 2022. Yeah, next fall. And tell tell everybody
1: about that book. So Most Likely, Most Likely came out of a story that my mother told me, which was really funny, which she tells to my kids when they come home from school and they're having a bad day. Now you're going to tell your kids this story. Okay. So my mom in high school, had a big crush on this guy, Lewis. And she's like, he never looked at me. I was nerdy. I was poor. I was nerdy. He didn't even know my name probably until like one time he wanted me to write a paper for him, which I did. He was so handsome, so, you know, gorgeous and popular and an athlete. And, you know, fast as they graduate high school, obviously don't expect to ever see each other again. My mom goes to college. She meets my father shortly after college. They get married. They buy their first house, a small house on Staten Island. And they, for the first time, call and arrange to have their windows cleaned. And who shows up to clean the windows but Louis, my mom's major, major crush. And not only is he the window washer... He fell off the ladder and he fell from the second floor like into the bushes. Totally fine. But here's this guy who my mom like worshipped who's like she's like pulling him out of pine needles, you know. So that story has stuck with me forever. And it's a great story for like when your kids come home and they're like, I have no friends or I feel stupid or this or that because... Who we are and what we are in high school and what we turn into 20, 25 years later, sometimes it's a straight trajectory and sometimes it's really anything but. So most likely is about four women who reunite at their 25th high school reunion. They've stayed friends, but they're, you know, they're spread across the country. They they chat, but they're not, you know, seeing each other all that often. And they get drunk and they just they start going through the yearbook on the first night of the reunion and they come across their high school superlatives, which are nothing like what they've turned into. And they have a bit of a moment of reckoning and they're each like, is this really where I want to be with my life? All but one of them who seems absolutely to have it all she really seems to have reached her superlative the other three are nowhere near what was you know expected of them or what they were voted to become and they decide to give each other until the end of the school year to try to actualize their dreams and they support each other they hit many bumps along the way and it really in a comical way in a heartfelt way addresses like what does it mean for a woman to have it all
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. And by the way, may I just commend you on how well you talk about all your books. Thank you. Yes. Thank I, you. I feel like I tend to be long-winded. No, no. It's great. It's, you know, anyway, what were you most likely to be when you were in high school? Or
1: Well, I, thankfully we didn't have any superlatives, okay. but I was, I'm probably like, didn't deviate that much from, you know, I was the valedictorian in my high school. I then went to Yale. I then went to Columbia Law School. I'm like such a type A nerd. And while I'm now in a creative field, I'm still like ambitious. And I'm like checking my Amazon ranking every 30 seconds. Like it's like the girl who like, you know, went to the science teacher and said, you, you said you'd post the grades. You said you'd post the grades. It's still the same girl that's like refreshing Amazon and like checking how many reviews I have. So I really haven't changed that much other than to say that I'm a lot more confident. Like I had no confidence in high school. I mean, I definitely was like, never felt good about myself, never thought I'd have a boyfriend. Like and that, I've like grown into my skin. I, I'm certainly like, I'm about to turn 40. I feel so much better about myself. I might look worse than I did then, but I feel I'm, a lot better I'm sure about you don't look worse. myself. So I'm, cause not everyone is totally different than who they were in high school, but there were definitely people in my high school. Like we have, you know, people from my graduating class who are brain surgeons now and they were in the bottom, bottom <laughs> classes. Like people thought, so either like they're terrible brain surgeons and no one should go to them, or they just blossomed later. And I think it's such an important lesson. And I definitely, that's really if you're talking about in the professional track, but even just like the girl who was like mean, mm-hmm. and but everyone followed her around. She was such a queen bee, like kind of a loser now. Yeah, I'm sure you have. I, yes, some similar stories. I'm debating
0: what I would say out loud on this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but yes, you know, there's like this whole thing like peaked in seventh grade. Like, oh, I feel like that, like we always used to talk in, in high school. Oh no, no, that guy peaked in seventh grade, and like that was like his era, or that was her era, and like you know, those chances are like I feel like it's inversely correlated the how your sort of status ranking in seventh grade to your like middle-aged success or something.
1: I don't know. I feel like... Your husband would have, like, an interesting take on this because I have I know he's a competitive tennis player. He was. Mm -hmm. And, like, I have heard that in Europe, they actually don't allow kids to compete until, like, a certain very mature age, like, much older than they start in the United States. Because, like, if they do, they peak too early. And it apparently, like, really diminishes your chances for long-term success if you're, like a six-year-old out on the court competing, which I think, and there's some statistics also about like Olympic medalists typically start their sport later Hmm. than other like very good people who don't medal. Kyle didn't start out playing tennis. He started playing tennis to improve his football skills. Oh, well,
0: so there you go. Yeah. So that kind of proves it, you know? So
1: it's sort of interesting, this whole idea of not wanting to peak too early.
0: And then look at all the pressure. I mean, like Naomi Osaka, I don't know if you've been following with the French Open and, you know, the effect on sort of your mental health when you, I wonder if there's some social corollary, right? When you like peak and you can't deal with the pressure, sort of, these
1: queen bee girls, maybe, I don't know. Or just as we mature, we're like, actually, it's not so great to hang around with a mean person. Like I'd rather, it's just, I don't know, I'm so glad. Like I- I see it. And I, even when I see my daughter come home, I'm sad. I'm like, Oh, I wish you could just have the crystal ball. I have totally that mean girl. I know no one's going to be following her around soon enough.
0: It's so true. I know. Especially it's so weird having kids. I have two kids who are just finishing seventh grade. It's like, I can't, I don't know. I feel like I was just in seventh grade, but by the good. way, my most likely, by the way, and ours are all jokes, but mine was most likely to teach driver's ed because I failed my road test mm. so many times <laughs> and I got in so many cars. Are you a good kids. driver now? As long as I don't have to park. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I I feel like I'm doing a lot better. Okay, let's talk about this book a little bit more because there was like so much in here. Part of what you wrote about sort of the rise and fall of the Catskills Hotel was based on the three A's of why Mm -hmm. the Jews even had gone and why they are no longer going. And you talked about the advent of air conditioning, assimilation, that now there's like lots of other places that Jews and other
1: groups can Mm -hmm. go.
0: And what was the third one? Airfare.
1: Airfare, right. Yeah, which is going probably on. the biggest. And you hear it at the end. Max Kellerman in Dirty Dancing actually says the line, I think when he's talking to Dr. Hausman, and he's like, it feels like it's all slipping away. These kids don't want to come and take foxtrot lessons with their parents. They want 13 cities in 10 days, you know? And so, because Dirty Dancing was actually made in the 80s, meant to show the 60s. Yeah. So the hotels were already starting to decline. I went to the Catskills with my family in the 90s. We used to stay at Kutcher's. There's actually an amazing documentary that I relied on called Welcome to Kutcher's that's available on Amazon Prime. And it's all about the Kutcher family and the decline of their hotel and how they just, it was the most treasured place for so many families but they just couldn't keep the lights on anymore. Because while people had the most fond memories of going there and having this peaceful time and being in nature. They're like, except I just got an email that says like, I could fly to Iceland for $119. So I could go back to Liberty, New York for my 30th time, or I could see Iceland, you know, cross something off my bucket list. And so the Catskills really did fall out of favor, but there is a revival now. It's it, And it is of a more hipster mm-hmm. variety. I mean, there's like, I just was interviewed on New York Public Radio and the host, Allison Stewart, was like, I'm going in there. She's my age. She's like, I'm going to the Catskills this weekend. And I was like, oh, where are you going? And she tells me the name of the hotel and I look it up. I mean, you couldn't be more hipster. Like every room is some totally bizarre theme. It (laughs) seems like the entire hotel was made for Instagram. And that is definitely happening. Like I remember I went to Scribner's Lodge for the weekend to, you know, do some research about the area. And it's like, all of Brooklyn has like gone to the Catskills now. You know, it's like hip parents that are like skinny and have tattoos and their kids have like cool strollers. Like that's the new, wow. that's the new Catskills. So it is not a such a dead area anymore. Okay. I'm not cool enough for the Catskills. Turns I think out. you might not be. Yeah. No offense. Right. That's okay. None taken. It's all right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not either
0: for what it's <laughs> worth. I know all the like hipster places. I'm, I don't know. I just like have missed the- I'm just not hip. It's okay. It's okay. I love this whole (laughs) how often Phoebe is posting in her Instagram as someone who, like, is obsessed with Instagram, at Zibby Owens, by the (laughs) way. (laughs) And how, like, how you make fun. Like, the way you poke fun basically at every character is, like, what makes me smile. And the way, you know, she'll, like, take a picture of whatever and, like, five seconds later she's posting and then how you had her climb that tree and, like, take a picture from, or whatever, building or what. I don't know. She was up high somewhere. And just this need to capture everything as you're doing it and make everything a moment like tell me a
1: little about that i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites of people's favorite character. And I think it's because, so Phoebe's this gorgeous millennial with a great body and long blonde hair and she's beautiful and she doesn't really seem to have a job because all she does is walk around with her phone. But actually she makes quite a bit of money because she posts a t-shirt and then that t-shirt is sold out 10 minutes later. So she's hired by companies, like as a traditional influencer. Naturally, her grandparents are like concerned and they would much prefer to see her in law school, like her father. Like he went, you know, he's an attorney, but instead she's like totally not attracted to this traditional job. And she's like making a ton of money and actually has terrific ideas and she's plucky. And I think that she's actually like, I, I don't even think of her as someone who's so obsessed with Instagram because she's really monetizing it. Like for her, it's really more of a career. It's not like a, you know, mom, who's just desperate to show off her kids every two seconds, or like a person who has to show off where they are on vacation. She's like, I'm showing off where I am on vacation. And I'm laughing all the way to the bank, you know, because this hotel, I'm here for free. And And she ends up, you know, and she does a lot of good. And she does a lot of good. She's a really likable character. I happen, I did this in my last book, The Floating Feldmans as well. Like, I love to write about women who are easily dismissed, but who are surprising. Because I think like you walk in with a certain body and a certain look and being of a certain age, and it's very easy to dismiss. And I, I there's nothing I love more than like the Elwood story, you yep. know, like. What like it's hard, you yeah, know? Like yeah. you got into Harvard Law School. Yeah. Like I love that. Like a cute little blonde Barbie who's like, <laughs> yeah, with a one eighty on the LSAT. To me, yeah. that's the best. And writing about those women makes me so happy. So Phoebe's one of them, and people have really responded. Is to This is a real account, by the way. I didn't. I didn't. I meant to go on and look if this. Like, what was it? No, but I should because that you would be like do such a perfect for you to be Phoebe. You should totally do that. That would be such a great Easter egg. You know, like yes, when people put those in the books. What I really wish I had before done before you leave today. I'm doing it. That's so You're smart. Sign up for that. The other thing, someone when I did a podcast the other day, the woman who interviewed me was like, "You have to make t-shirts for the five B." So, mm-hmm. who the people who have not read yeah. this book are listening, I when the hotel is failing and word gets out, all of it's like there are thousands and thousands of people who are devastated. They might not be showing up there anymore to book hotel rooms, but they can't imagine that this institution won't be around anymore. And so they start a GoFundMe page and it's called the 5B, bring back the borscht belt baby. And so this person who interviewed me was like, you need merch. Like you need, that's true. Bring back the borscht belt baby t-shirts. You could, there's a lot of merch you could do. So I'm like, maybe some merch, not a bad idea. You first, you have to
0: go back and post the things that she posts in the book. Yes. Right. right. Start
1: with that. You're so smart. Thanks. I mean, you guys already know that,
0: and I already knew that. It's not smart. It's just these are fun ideas. You know, I don't know. You also have this great intergenerational, like, how do we deal with when a son is obviously gay and hasn't come out to his family? And you have this whole scene, which Mm. was hilarious, by the (laughs) way. One of my favorite scenes in the whole book, but that's okay. And, you know, it's like pride month or Mm -hmm. whatever it is now talk about that relationship and how the older generations were like, just wasn't at, I mean, they just didn't want to see
1: it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the Catskills, one of the main purposes of going to the Catskills wasn't just to like get out of the city. It was also to marry off your children. And if you remember Robbie from dirty dancing, he went to Yale. He was like the waiters and the bus boys, like, and the bellmen. these were like highly educated people who were there either, you know, to make connections for their jobs, which was huge. Like you might be serving a table one summer and then you're at Goldman Sachs working for the person you served when yes. you graduate college. Like it was a great way for to network. And also many marriages came out of the Catskills, but there weren't too many grandparents walking around saying like, do you know, you know, like with <laughs> a grandson saying like, do you know any nice boys for my grandson? Like it just wasn't out there. But of course I hinted at it at the book. It's not to say that same-sex stuff wasn't happening. Right. It just certainly wasn't out in the open. So naturally, like, I really wanted this book to be modern. And so the idea of everyone being straight is ridiculous in these times. And if I really wanted to show the differences between the generations, like, having Michael be gay was just perfect. Like, it let me explore the themes of, like, you know, modern versus tradition and acceptance and and the changing nature of, you know, even, like, the Jewish community and like what's accepted. And so his grandparents, I think really just don't want to see it. They can't even imagine it. Nope. They don't really know people who are out. They live in a bubble and Michael's parents see it, but they're just completely consumed and busy and they don't have the relationship with him where, you know, he's officially come out Sure, they suspect it. And so it also is just about like you know the hotel brings them closer and the hotel and being away from phones and work and slowing down and having a chance to actually go for a long walk and talk gives Michael the chance you know to have a heart to heart with his parents about his sexuality, though he's outed not in the way that he might have (laughs) wanted to be.
0: (laughs) I also really liked Amy because she had to. Sorry, pronounce Amy. Yeah, how she had to deal with a husband who ends up you know, making a mistake very early on in the book and how she then has to kind of deal with it with both her kids and her husband and whatever. And then I was thinking it would be so cool if there was some sort of meeting of Amy and I don't know if you've read Lauren Weisberger's new book. um, Not yet, but The grass is green and the girls are pretty. Because her husband, well, there's also, it wasn't necessarily her husband, but there's like a transgression that happens. It's sort of similar. Anyway, I thought it would be so great to have those characters like go out for coffee. So, (sighs) no, I was like, you know, like in the Jeffersons or something where people would, like, cross over into, like, different I, stories. I mean, that was the best. So I feel like the two of you need to get together and, like, see what would happen well, like you, when Amy gets caught. You know us both. I'll put it together, yeah. I would like to set see. it up and we'll have a write a little script. This is what happens. I spend too much of my life
1: now in books, and now I'm like, ooh, I need that character <laughs> to be this well, other character. As long as you don't start, like, inviting these people to your house for dinner, I, I know, think right? it's okay. Like, and we know niece. you've crossed the line. Elijah and, <laughs> exactly. you know, Amy
0: are sitting
1: here next to, next to each other.
0: There. Oh my gosh. And even aging, you talked about so beautifully with Louise and what happened. I think it's hard. My I grandma think...
1: was really beautiful. And when she started to lose her looks, it was really hard for her. And I remember it. Like she would still like, I would go stay with her in Florida because of course she lived in Florida and I would stay with her in her apartment. We used to share a bed when I went to stay with her. And I wake up at like, no matter what time I woke up, she was already out of bed because she was like, doing her face <laughs> and doing her hair like i felt like i think i could wake up at 4 and she'd still be gone <laughs> like she'd still she'd start half an hour before i ever woke up because putting on her face was so important to her and she talked about like feeling invisible sometimes yes. she was someone she worked as a receptionist at Solomon Brothers which then merged with Lehman Brothers and she was the receptionist she, they don't put the ugly people as the receptionist she was beautiful and Back in the day, like men came in and they loved to flirt with her and talk to her. She was beautiful. And like, she got on in age. It just, it stops, you know, and the looks stop and she had a tough time. And I, and Louise is like that in the book. Louise is beautiful and glamorous and, you know, coming to terms with aging. It's so funny. My grandmother who recently passed
0: away when she was 97, she was like, you know, I've never looked better than when I turned 90. She's, <laughs> like, she's like, no one ever used to tell me I looked amazing. She's like, now. That's Every day. So.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I like she, that. She loved it. She was like, Well, some one of my friends told me, like, he's like, I just want to tell people that I'm, you know, 10 years older than I am. And then everyone just says, You look amazing. <laughs> and like, You're 60. You look amazing for 60. So I'm yeah. like, it's a great way yeah, to, to get a lift. a compliment exactly. exactly. Oh my gosh,
0: it's so funny. Okay, so you've already written your next book completely? or No, what? oh my no? God, I okay. wish.
1: No. I wish. I mean, having the kids this whole year with COVID, I, I, it's like, it was just a nightmare. You know, my son, my oldest was home three days a week. He only went to school twice a week. I felt like every other day the cohorts were quarantined. It was such a crazy year. So my job is to finish it this summer. So the minute my kids, all three of my kids are going to sleep boy camp, June 26th, wow. I it's like if I could just throw them out the window, get them there today, like I would just, <laughs> I would go, helicopter, please, <laughs> like please put them there because I have spent so much time with them as you know how it is. Like yes. it's just been nonstop constant for so long since last, last March. And of course they didn't go to camp last summer. And I just, I love them so much, but I don't feel that I've been able to really think clearly in over a year. And when when they leave, when they are in camp, I've never had all three gone before. This will be the first time. But even when I'm down one or two, it feels like a drawer in my brain got organized. Like it frees up space. Like almost like you delete on your phone and you have more memory. Like that's how I feel. Like I'm no longer like, what time is Lila's pickup? And oh, Charlie Dentist. And shoot, I never got the cavity drill. Like just that running cycle in my endorsed. head. <laughs> I'm kidding. What about that 50% of the time where you don't have them? Is that glorious or not No, no, it's terrible. It's It's, terrible. You miss them.
0: It's not 50%, at least. But but the weekends that I don't have them, I'm like, every other weekend, I have what you're talking about. I have the reset. And that's how I'm able to, like, be a functional human being. Well,
1: you do so much. So it makes sense that you do have a couple days where you don't have them because I don't know how you
0: could do it otherwise. I wasn't doing it otherwise. I wasn't doing it before. Like, you need
1: that. It feels like my brain, I don't necessarily even feel smarter. I feel clearer. Yep. And the, they're just more yes. space yes. because I don't have to deal with the logistics. Yeah. There's just so many logistics. Say, I'm still
0: dealing with logistics. Even if the kids are not in front of me, you're still, oh. you know,
1: but, and by the way, still, but, I'll still be dealing with some of it when they're in camp, it, yeah, because right. like, I'm telling you, it's like the school is trying to mess with us. Like June 26th, <laughs> they will get on the bus and leave for camp. And then by June 30th, there will be like, the medical forms are due I'm at your child's school. I'm already getting the medical Magnus, forms. Magnus, Magnus' health is I, already oh after my gosh,
0: me. Magnus. And I then just,
1: you start getting the even. fall activities. We'll start emailing you yes. over the summer, like, early bird specials. Space is this is limited. Team, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I've already missed the tryouts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what if she wants to be on this team? <laughs> it's too late. It's such a treadmill. Oh my gosh. Anyway. It is such, such a treadmill. But at least we know you'll be writing this book. So I will finish the book this summer. Actually, you know, I also teach. I hired one of my students to help me this summer. She's just like, I wouldn't call her a research assistant because it's not such a research heavy book, but like every time I write something, it's like checking for the inconsistencies and like, you're writing this, like, I think this is, you know, this scene is supposed to take place in December in Connecticut and you have her in a tank top outside, like, you know, catching those types of like little inconsistencies. Oh my God,
0: that would stress me out
1: well, I don't look at them. Like I'll, I'll do it in okay, a chunk. Okay, like right. she's working through it because that's the hardest thing for me. I'm oh, all big, big, big ideas. And I get super excited about my ideas and my plot developments. And then I will like change someone's name in the middle of the book yeah. and then forget <laughs> or, or I'll have like, you know, something that just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, you said that she is a senior in high school, the daughter, but, like sh- you have to mention college then like, you can't, you know, if this is, And so she's picking up those types of things, but it's even just like you talk about her eating breakfast and then the next scene, you know, you haven't accounted for the day. Like, and so that type of thing I find really helpful. I've never had anyone like that before, but the student was super promising, a really incredible writer. And so she's helping me and she's just like organized. You should have her write an essay for Mom's No Time to Write. Maybe I will. She's really incredible. And by the way, Talent is not distributed equally because I went, I had office hours with her the first time I really got to know her, and she's a brilliant writer. And we were meeting about her midterm. And I asked her a little bit about her life and when she's graduating this and, that and she's like, Well, I'm in a little bit of an untraditional path at Yale because I'm also in dear Evan Hansen. Stop. Yeah. Okay. She's definitely writing. Yeah. I mean, can you start read? writing her own book? Can you oh well, she's so talented yeah. and I'm sure she will, but I was like, So you write that well and you sing and dance? So just come again. It's not fair. Yeah, she's the understudy for the sister character. Oh my gosh, it's huge. That's character. a huge part.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So some people have a little more talent than others. Oh my gosh, or she could just come over and like sing for my kids.
1: That, that too. Yeah. yeah, she's a re- she's amazing, and it's been fun. And you know, she's digging. There's a lot of I guess research. The only really research in the book is that these particular women were in high school in the nineties. And so, and so was I actually, but I don't remember everything. There's a new Instagram account.
0: You have to check it out. What? It's like, I have to find it. It's something like at New York City in the 90s or 1990s. Oh, really? And it's all the pictures from when we were all in high school. Well, that's
1: what I, I want to get the hairstyles right. And like, I know by the end of the 90s, like we did have smartphones, but they, I'm not smartphones, but we had cell phones. But like, I don't know, was it the Star Tack? Like, I need those details to be correct. How much was like a happy meal at McDonald's? You know, like I just want to. That I don't have. (laughs) But like that kind of thing she'll be helpful with, you know, and even just, I like to do these inspiration boards in my office. So even just printing out pictures so that when I walk in, I'm like, I'm in the 90s. That is so cool. I don't know how I feel about the 90s as a decade. Yeah, I don't know. Like it doesn't have much of a personality, I don't think.
0: Time for a rebrand. (laughs) I agree. Awesome. Okay. Well, advice to aspiring authors.
1: I feel like you might have new advice because you keep cranking out some awesome content. Aspiring writers. I mean, I teach writing and I believe in the value in taking writing classes. So I had done a lot of writing when I was in undergrad. I think that you don't, certainly don't have to go back to full-time school, but I did classes at Gotham Writers Workshop even here in New York when I decided to switch from being a lawyer to being a full-time writer. I think that, of course, Talent plays a role, but a lot can be learned. So I think take a writing class. If nothing else, it's a workshop environment. It forces you to write. So you have to do the assignments. You have to read other people's writing and critique their writing. You have to turn in your own work. And I'm sure I'm not the first and I won't be the last to say read. Just read as much as you can. You will pick up a little writing tip from every book you read.
0: Awesome. All right, last summer at the Golden Hotel. Everybody go pick it up. Thank Thank you. you.